There's 12 examples on the slide in front of you of God's wrath and vengeance against sinners. I mean, when you think about just the first one and the angels that sinned were cast down out of heaven and reserved in chains to everlasting destruction, it's huge. Just that one entry. And Adam's three deaths. How many people have lived since Adam and Eve? 50 billion, 75 billion, three deaths to all of them. And on down through this list, the sending of fire and brimstone from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on. True evidence of God's wrath and vengeance that should be preached if we're to preach the word. Peter and Jude each used a list of three examples. Here's 2 Peter chapter 2. You read 2 Peter chapter 3 last night. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, and spared not the old world, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow. There's three examples in a row. I had 12. Here's Peter using three. Here's Jude using three with one different. Having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. That generation in the wilderness that lost their lives and their carcasses were dropped, is the Bible's terminology, is that one. And again, the angels which kept not their first estate, and then Sodom and Gomorrah again, there set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. These kind of words are not contrary words to our God. They're contrary words to how we treat each other. But he is the one that does wreck vengeance on enemies. Jesus used a list of two examples. In Luke 17... Jesus said, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot. Notice what he sees. We eat, we drink, we marry, we're given in marriage, and then judgment comes. Eat, drink, bought, sold, planted, builded, and then God sends judgment. See, there's nothing outside this room that is going to remind you of God's judgment coming. There's nothing. And so while you're buying and selling, while you're, we're going to have a marriage on Saturday. And while we're doing these things, it appears, it seems, like there is no judgment. But there is judgment. Beyond these examples are many similar threats and warnings in the Bible, which we could just keep on multiplying. But let's look at just a few. Here's Leviticus 26. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children. This is God speaking to his church in Leviticus 26. If you'll obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't obey me, this is what I'll do. I'll destroy your cattle. I'll make you few in number. Your highways shall be desolate. If ye will not be informed, reformed by me, by these things... That's in verse 22, but will walk contrary to me. Then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. Nebuchadnezzar is not the only one that said he was going to heat his fiery furnace sent seven times hotter than it was wont to be heated in vengeance against disobedience to him. This God is the king of kings. He was just a king. Though God did call him the only king of kings in the Bible, God was his king. This is our God. 
This is our God, and the Bible is filled with this. I love him just the way he is. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, Ye shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled like a fire against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Right. It's a warning. It's what should go down for family devotions as we warn our families and teach our families about the true nature of the God of the Bible. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 7, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. He keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God will bless you and your family tree if you'll keep his commandments. And this same God will repay them that hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack. That's a word in 2 Peter 3. To, them, to him that hateth him, he will repay him to his face. I love that God. Let anyone say whatever they want about our God and against him. God will have the last laugh. Right. 1 Corinthians 10. I've given you a lot of examples. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul gives the example in verses 1 through 5 of God not being pleased with his church in the wilderness and overthrowing them. Look, look what he says. 1 Corinthians 10.6 These things were our examples. That's why I gave them to you. To the intent, there's a reason, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. The Israelites... They weren't content with manna. They wanted quail. They weren't content with Canaan. It looked too hard for them to take it. On and on it went. Neither be ye idolaters. Neither let us commit fornication. Let us not tempt Christ. Let's not murmur. All these things happened for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, you should draw a conclusion from all these examples of God punishing sinners, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Right. So let, when we walk away from today, let's take heed to our lives that we're walking with God. He is the most loving, benevolent, glorious, merciful, faithful being that there is in the universe. Amen. This is the What we're looking at today is how he treats his enemies. We're going to look at how he treats us because he saved us by Jesus Christ being our mediator. We could go to 1 Corinthians 11, which is the next chapter. And this is about the Lord's Supper. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, not examining themselves and not discerning the Lord's body, that makes us guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But we should examine ourselves, and we should discern the Lord's body. And if we don't, many are weak, many are sickly, and many are already dead in the church cemetery. That's the Bible. If you don't treat communion, and they were, they were abusing it terribly, like we've never imagined, but if we don't treat communion properly, many could be weak, sick, and dead early. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So let's leave today and judge ourselves so he doesn't have to. Hebrews 12 says that we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God 
is a consuming fire. And that's the New Testament. We have a kingdom. Let's take the grace he's given us and use it to serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus told the church at Thyatira, notwithstanding the good things that you have, I have a few things against thee because you suffer. You allow that woman Jezebel, who thinks she's a prophetess, to teach and seduce that church to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. That's fair enough. He'll give to each one of us according to our works, and he will kill her children with death. All the churches shall know. Remember, one of my purposes is for you to know the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. You'll know what he's really like. I am he which search the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. We are never going to be a fatalistic church as long as I'm your pastor. We're going to use these verses and we're going to teach them all. I will give unto every one of you according to your works. That's his practical relationship with us and the fellowship that we have with him. Our relationship is certain and sure by Jesus Christ. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. We all know that. James, thank you for praying that. No matter what any foolishly believe, he's the same God. If you had lived in Sodom, would you have quit your job and moved away? What is in your life that you should move away from? And I don't mean changing your address. If you had heard the 12 spies, would you have joined Caleb and Joshua against the 10 and against the whole nation? Would you have? You wouldn't, your carcasses wouldn't have dropped in the wilderness. You'd have made it to the land of Canaan. The difference between those that obey and those who disobey is gargantuan. It's huge. You are hearing a warning right now that everything and everyone you love will be burned up in fiery indignation of God. You say, well, what about those I love that are God's elect? I'm leaving them out for the moment because I'm trying to get your attention with all the ridiculous friendships you have with people that God hates. I just want to get your attention. Everything, everyone you love will be burned up. Peter's about to tell us that, and you should have read it last night in 2 Peter chapter 3. But you know it doesn't matter. You hear a warning, nothing happens. Because this is what the Bible says about most. Let favor be showed to the wicked. Yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. That's true of most people. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Question mark. No. Can the leopard his spots? Question mark. No. Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. What do we need to change in our lives individually and as families so that we are hearing the warning from God's word today? Matthew 7, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. There's a lot of talkers. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And we want to do the will of the Father because he does punish evildoers and those that disobey him. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is how Jesus taught and preached. Right here in Matthew chapter 7. Do you believe the Bible? We just keep going over verse after verse after verse. Because I want you to know the weight of Scripture and how many times it says the things that I'm preaching to you today that the end of the universe is near at hand and the wrath of God will explode in fiery and furious vengeance on all his enemies and everything that you know. Everything that you know has a hot future. It's all going to burn up. Do you believe there was a worldwide flood 4,400 years ago? In 1656, after creation. Do you believe that? Did every person and living creature drown in that flood? And all flesh died that moved upon the earth. All the birds, cattle, beast, creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land, died. That is the truth of God's word. That is a historical event. You got credits in high school and credits in college for taking history classes that don't know this transcendent event. This dwarfs anything they taught you. This event right here. The worldwide flood of Noah. But it's really God's worldwide flood. That's one view of what it might have looked like. They would have gone to every high place that they could find trying to save themselves from the water. It was raining at the rate of, it was raining and the fountains of the deep were broken up at the rate of 1,000 inches per day. What do you hear about heavy rain? It rained three inches? It's a lot of feet. That's 80 feet. Here's another picture of what it was like. This one's already succumbed. Here's another picture. Notice that the bird's failing. The bird's been flying for a long time. The feathers are falling off. Its uh, mate down is down here in the water because the birds were all killed as well. I just don't want you to forget that. The Lord doesn't want you to forget that. That's why it's in the Bible, all the birds died. Here's another picture. It's the flood. Here's another picture. Here's another picture. It's the flood. What do you think it is? Do you know what everybody gets out of the flood? And I'm going to show you in a minute. All they can get out of the flood is animals two by two went into the ark. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That all they can get is two animals, male and female, going into the ark. Why don't you read what the flood was for? Why don't you read what it did and what effect it should have on our lives? The flood that drowned all persons is denied, it's ignored, or it's limited. This evolutionary, humanistic, baby-killing world that we live in denies anything from the Bible, especially an event as cold, cruel, and heartless as this, even while they're killing babies. 
for no evil done on their part whatsoever at all at any time. And this is God judging a rebellious world that was filled with violence and the thoughts of their hearts from their youth were continually violent and evil. The Bible was very clear in the chapter that you read last night, Genesis chapter 6. Some Christians say it never happened. It's merely a myth for a lesson. Some Christians say it did happen, but they never preach it, and they never go beyond the two animals of each kind entering the ark. That's as close as they get to the flood of Genesis 6 through 9. What good is that? Somebody help me. Zero value. Why were they going into the ark? And who shut the door? Did you love reading that last night, that the Lord shut the door? No one was getting in except the eight that he had put in there. Other Christians limit it to a localized flood that got the attention of those living around Noah, but no further. You need to understand the math to appreciate the fury of his wrath. And I'm not a poet. But you need to understand the math to appreciate the fury of his wrath. Percentage math of calamities. This is why I'm going to go over a little math for the same eight reasons. What is this? Fort Riley, Kansas, 1918. God sent an influenza. We started it. We spread it around the world. 50 million died from it. 3% of the 1.5 billion that lived on earth. It struck the strong between 20 and 40. Amazing. Children that are usually struck by the flu or the old people that are struck with the flu survived this one. This was unique. 20 to 40. Think about the math. I just gave you some math. That's Nagasaki. A little mushroom cloud. 50,000 feet high. There's Nagasaki on the left. And that's Hiroshima on the right. There's not much left. Percentage math. The Civil War was the worst calamity America's ever had. 2% of our population. It's by far the worst war we've ever fought. All the rest of the wars combined only equal the Civil War. It was terrible. We were killing each other. God turned this nation over to rebellion against itself, and it was a terrible war. But it was only 2% of our population that died. The influenza of 1918, only 3% of the world's population died. But it's a huge event, and it's an important event of history that you should know a little bit about to realize that God allowed it to happen, and just as easily and quickly as it came, it disappeared. Atomic bombs in Japan, only 30% of each city's census. World War II, total German deaths, only 8%. World War II, total American deaths, hard to measure it, only three-tenths of 1%. Korea and Vietnam U.S. deaths combined, one-twentieth of one percent. 9-11 terrorist attacks, can't hardly measure it, one-tenth of one percent of one percent. Very few. But America sure does get worked up about it. And the loss of a single life is a big event. But I've got to put this in perspective for you of what's coming. The threefold death of Eden. What was the percentage? 100%. Who escaped the threefold death of Adam and Eve? No one. 
No exceptions. 100%. How many? Was it 50 billion that have lived in this world or 75 billion? How many? Worldwide flood of Noah. 100%. Eight exceptions. And God doesn't count them when he's talking about the flood on the rest of the world. He just says, and all men, all flesh died. Egypt's firstborn. How many survived? Animal or human? None. Canaan cities by Joshua. 100%. No exceptions. Amalekites by Samuel. Amalekites by Saul. One. Amalekites by Samuel. None. Because he hewed them to pieces. No exceptions. Benjamin for sodomy. 100%. All women and children killed. 600 men allowed to live to keep the tribe going. Jerusalem in 70 AD, 91% killed by starvation, internal rioting, or the Romans. The slaves were the exceptions, and they were sent to Egypt to work the salt mines of Egypt. That's the percentage math of judgments in the Bible. You know, when we go back and we look at the percentage math of calamities in the world, they're nothing. The world's never seen anything bad yet. I mean bad the way God's going to send it. When it's his fury and vengeance and wrath on this nation and on the world. Did Noah know this event was coming and warned the earth for 120 years? Yes, he did. The Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. I am not going to put up with him forever. For that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. And so Noah and his sons built the ark over a 120 year period of time. And he was a preacher of righteousness to that ungodly world. It was called the world of the ungodly. God did not spare the old world, but he saved Noah, the eighth person. A hundred percent of the rest were casualties of the flood. By which also he went and preached. This by which is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Noah went and preached unto the spirits in prison. They're in prison now. They weren't in prison when Noah preached to them. Well, God waited. God had to wait for Noah to hurry up and build that thing so that he could drop the water. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the New Testament. There's Noah taking a break from his axe work to warn the crowd, and he's being laughed at. And they're just talking among themselves, and oh, these buddies are just having a good time, and no one cares for 120 years because they had never seen rain. Water had never got out of place on earth, but it was going to get out of place. And you're being warned today, and we want to rejoice in the fact that we've been saved from what's coming, but we are supposed to think about what's coming, and we're supposed to be terrified of it to a certain degree so that it changes our lives. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? That is how Peter wrote to existing churches, not to pagans, not to public school kids, to churches. If you had heard Noah preach, would you have changed your life? No, you would not have. And you're hearing me preach right now, is it going to change your life? There's no perfect person in here. What can you do to please God more perfectly? Rain had never been seen. A crazy man building a boat 200 miles from the Gulf of Persia said that something called rain would bring water to flood the earth. And there isn't a thing out there, 
or a thing in the New York Times or anywhere for you to know what's coming, except the word of God. Men did not heed the warning, for they hated God and loved their sins, just like today. There's a far greater event coming, which is not properly preached, and no one seems to care. If you went into this store, and there's magazines all over this store, all over the place, if you went into this newsstand, as they're called, could you find even one paragraph about the judgment that's coming on the earth, about the end of the universe? Could you find a pair? No, you couldn't. There isn't any information out there about it. That's why we have this church. This is why we don't close up our doors and join some other church that doesn't preach the whole counsel of God. We want to preach the whole word of God. Do you understand the math or probabilities of expected outcomes? If there's a 50% chance of losing 10K in an investment or gaining 10K, your expected outcome is zero because you average what you could make and what you could lose. By performing it enough times over time, you would get a zero outcome. However, the big problem with such math is that an outcome of zero is impossible because either you gained 10K or you lost 10K. There were only two choices and zero was not a choice. It's only by averaging it over many, ex- over many tests of that scenario that you end up at zero. You are as likely to be crushed for a $10,000 loss as a $10,000 gain because the little example is 50%. If there is a 10% chance of drowning for diving in a pool, would you do it? You're standing on a diving board and the stats are told. There's a 10% chance of you drowning if you dive in this pool at this time in these circumstances. Would you do it? Because, see, once you drown, there's nothing left. You can lose 10 grand, you can gain 10 grand, but you don't want to drown. Right. Some of you probably would. But what happens if it's, if it's your time for the 10%? Your life is over. If there is a 1% chance your entire family and all friends will drown in a worldwide flood, what would you do? Just 1%. What's the risk? The risk is you, your entire family, and all friends will drown in a worldwide flood, but there's only a 1% chance. What will you do? Will you obey Noah? Will you repent? The expected outcome of the next event is total ruin and eternal hell for 100% of the unsaved. Do you have any desire to be part of the saved? You can make your calling and election sure. You can lay hold of eternal life by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting for your sins, being baptized, and living for him. That gives you the evidence that you're in the other category. The expected outcome of the next event is total ruin. It's like Noah's flood, but it's eternal hell, not just drowning for 100% of the unsaved. Here's the true math of the gospel. 100% of unrepentant sinners will be damned for an eternity of torment. 100% of repentant sinners will inherit a new universe and live until then by a perfect handbook for pleasure and prosperity. We win, win, win when we do it God's way. 
The Bible tells us specific things we should be doing to prepare for this coming event that will burn up everything you have known. A much worse event is coming than the flood, which is not preached and no one really cares. And the Bible told us they wouldn't care. For the time will come. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. After their own lusts, they're going to get themselves teachers. They'll turn away their ears from the truth, and they'll turn to fables. And we live there. Everyone wants a cotton candy God that will love them unconditionally, no matter how they live. This is the four spiritual laws. Law number one. Lie number one. Let's call it the four spiritual lies. Lie number one. Just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, so there are spiritual laws which govern your relationship with God. And they say that this is a law. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Did Noah lean out of the ark and preach that to the people drowning outside his ark? How about this little gimmick? Quote John 3.16 to receive a $19.99 full-service oil change. Because that's all they know. That's all they know out of the Bible. If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Isn't that a great church sign? If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. They only know one verse. They don't understand it. I'm a whosoever. Cool, deep, valuable. There were a lot of whosoever's outside the ark. They were all whosoever's. Do you want him to be your valentine? Thankfully, this guy's in prison for 20 years. This is Rainbow Man. It's people like this that ruin the testimony and reputation of Christians for the whole nation. Do you think the Apostle Paul ever went to the Ephesian theater and held up a a big poster for John Mm 3.16? Do you think he asked Nero if he could go to the Colosseum and do it? This is what we have on our website, and it's so accurate. Smile, Jesus loves you. According to them, that's all they know. One verse, and they don't understand it. That event happened right there. You think North Carolina had a storm last year? Prove it. This happened. You think there was a storm in Louisiana 10 years ago or so-called Katrina? Prove it. This happened. This was real. This wasn't puffed up by meteorologists, weathermen, or others that needed to be sensational and speculative for two weeks to two months to keep everybody interested while the world's going to hell. There's so many distractions. This is what's coming. The whole earth and the whole universe is going to burn. Romans chapter 9, hath not the potter power. Our God is the potter in the Bible. Doesn't he have power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another vessel unto dishonor. That is what the Bible teaches. He has made vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He didn't make them sinners. They made themselves sinners, and they choose to be sinners every day of their lives. They do not fear God, 
for there is nothing fearful about their little toy that they call God. Isaiah 29, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. So they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, just like the New Testament warned us. Jesus himself warned his disciples that they had better fear God. Look what Jesus taught. And I say unto you, my friends, who's he speaking to? I say unto you, my friends, this is how Jesus would address his friends. This is how Jesus did address his friends. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. Those martyr stories that you're hearing in the church of Greenville, do not be afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. All they can do is kill your body. I will forewarn you. I will warn you in advance. Whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed your body, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's what Jesus would say to his friends. That's what I'm saying to my friends today. That's what I'm saying to Jesus' friends today. God's ministers are to warn like barking dogs of coming danger. Remember this verse? His watchmen, those are preachers. They're blind. They don't see the danger coming. They're ignorant. They don't understand God. They're dumb dogs. That means they can't speak when it says dumb dogs. They cannot bark. They sleep. They lie down. They love to slumber. Your watchman is here to warn you because it's in the Bible. And the apostles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preach this message, so I'm preaching it. Luke 3, John the Baptist, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 2 Corinthians 5, we've been here already. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men because we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews 10, Paul, we know him. We know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Bible says about our God, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If Victoria Osteen were to use that text, Hebrews 10.31, for the offertory today, how many would be at Lakewood Church next Sunday? None of the people that are there for a sermon about prosperity, the prosperity gospel. This is what the Bible says. And it says it over and over and over. And don't get bored with God's words. He's trying to get your attention by the density and the emphasis, and I'm trying to get your attention because it ought to change your life. The end of all things is at hand. There's a a result that should come from that. Therefore, be sober and watch unto prayer. The only way ministers can redeem their souls is to warn with their might. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman of the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and you don't tell him, his blood will I require at thine hand. If you warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. I'm delivering my soul. Every minister should do it. 
Since nothing like it has happened in their tiny minds, they dismiss it. Who? The preachers today. Nothing like this has happened in their tiny minds because they're not reading the Bible and sticking to the Bible. They dismiss it as unnecessary fear-mongering. The first reason it has not happened yet is not a very comforting thought. Get ready for this. What's the first reason that God hasn't burned up the earth yet? That's one of the reasons, but there's a reason that far outnumbers that one. They all work together. A reason God has not yet destroyed the universe is to accumulate more sins to increase his fury with man. It's unbelievable. He is letting more sins accumulate to justify what he's going to do to this planet. Romans 2. I'm not in the Old Testament, though I'll go there. Romans 2. Do you despise the riches of his goodness and his forbearance and his long-suffering? The goodness of God should make you repent. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He is showing his favor to us right now. He is showing his favor to the whole world right now, and they should repent. And every day they don't repent, it accumulates and treasures up more wrath against the day of wrath. God told Abram, You're gonna, your, your family's going to be strangers in a foreign land for 400 years. And uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to leave them down in Egypt for 215. In the fourth generation, they th- shall come hither again. I can't, I can't have them in Canaan yet annihilating the Amorites because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. He says it's got to be the only time that's in the Bible. Guess again. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, that's the Jews, and upon my holy city. I got to let them finish the transgression. They've killed prophets. Now they've got to kill my son. Then I'll be sufficiently angry and have sufficient cause to bring the worst tribulation in the history of the world upon them. Matthew 23, Jesus brings it to bear. Ye be witnesses unto yourselves. Ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Did Jesus say those words or not? Amen. Jesus said those words. He preached those words to the religious leaders of his day. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, that I might hold this generation accountable for the greatest crimes and sins ever done on earth. Numbers 32. The Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men, to augment, to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. You would think that you would be content that his anger towards your fathers dropping their carcasses in the wilderness would be enough. But here you are sinning. This was actually Moses being very rough on two and a half tribes that were not trying to sin. They were the two and a half tribes that didn't want to cross Jordan. They said, we're happy with the land over here. And so Moses let them have it. This is how he let them have it. If you sin like your fathers have, you are augmenting 
the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. Anybody know what augmentation means? To make something worse? Better or bigger? Augment, increase, grow it? Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved? To fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Instead of thinking God has not burned this universe due to love for all men, think rather that he has allowed time for more sin for greater judgment. That's what the Bible says. What does he do every day? There was a sunrise this morning. It lasted about four or five minutes if you had a good view of the east. It was, abs- it was spectacular, very beautiful. And as Sherry was commenting to me about it and telling me how much she enjoyed it and that she stayed right there and watched it, I reminded her that that same sunrise was seen by the atheists of Greenville County today. And every time they get to see a sunrise like that, and every time their bellies are filled with food and gladness, mm-hmm. as Paul described in Acts chapter 14, it's just one more sin that they are going to pay for when the righteous judge of all comes. He is so kind to them in his creation, providence, conscience, and scripture. Never be discouraged. Remember, I had eight reasons why I was preaching this. Never be discouraged by the news in this sense. The abominable things that you read about today are for God's vengeful fury to break forth mightily tomorrow. Amen. Amen. He sees every one of them. Do you really think that you're upset by some of these transgender couples? What about the God of heaven? Do you know when Isaiah, Isaiah thought he was a decent guy. But when Isaiah met the Lord in Isaiah 6, all he could scream out was, Woe is me, for I am undone. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's right. We do not measure sin the way the Bible measures sin. We do not measure sin the way God measures sin. And so when he sees all that, he doesn't miss a single beat of it. He's coming back. God is entirely different than theistic humanists can even imagine. These are what I call Arminian Christians. Another reason God has not yet burned the universe is to deceive men to think he compromises like them. Psalm 50 is the song we just sang before I took the pulpit. These things, and it was a list of sins, these sins hast thou done, I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. You were committing these sins, and I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything, and so you appeared to be getting away with it, and you thought that I was just like you, and that it's okay for you to live that way. But consider it that I'm coming to tear you in pieces for thinking that I'm like that and for sinning those sins. Then then said I, Ah, Lord God! Notice the exclamation point. Surely thou hast greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall have peace whereas the sword reacheth unto the soul. They wanted peace. He let them think that they were going to get peace. He let their false teachers preach peace. Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people. 1 Thessalonians 5, Of the times and of seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord 
comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You women could not start your labor. You wanted to be able to start your labor, but you couldn't do it. And it's going to come when they're least expecting it. When they're thinking peace and safety, the Lord's going to bring judgment. He is not going to have an increasing amount of earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, and the rest of that stuff for people to think that the world's coming to an end. It's just all going to be peachy, prosper, pros, full of prosperity, and everyone's going to be at peace. Right. And then he comes. Are you not yet convinced God will destroy all the universe you love? We have read dozens of verses about the wrath of God and coming judgment. Look at Psalm 102. David said, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish. It was taught in the Old Testament, Psalm 102, right here. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. They shall perish. Thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment that you throw away. That was in the Old Testament. Paul quoted this in Hebrews chapter 1. For those of you that love Hebrews 1, Paul quoted that from Psalm 102 by David. Lord, in the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old, and so forth. The most complete passage in the Bible about God destroying the universe is in 2 Peter 3. You read it last evening. 2 Peter 3. You don't have to wonder who it's written to. It's written to New Testament Christians. Right. We should listen to it. 2 Peter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, which I stir up, that's what I'm trying to do to you, by way of remembrance. These were churches and Christians that Paul had converted. Go read about Cappadocia, Cilicia, Galatia, and the other places where these strangers were scattered that were Jews Paul had converted. Peter is showing his agreement with Paul about doctrine. I taught you all this when I preached through First and Second Peter. And Paul, did the, and, and Paul did the same thing for Peter by writing the book of Hebrews. Right. Because the book of Hebrews were, were for the Jews in Judea. And so they helped each other out this way. These people already knew the truth, but they needed to be reminded about the truth and they needed to be stirred up about the truth. And I want to stir up your pure minds. Do you have pure minds this morning or bored minds? That ye may be mindful. I want you to be mindful. These are elect brethren. This is 2 Peter 3. The second epistle written to these believers. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, the first thing we should know is there shall come in the last days scoffers, making fun of the Bible, skeptics, denying the Bible, ridiculing God, denying the God of judgment, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Nothing has changed. I must remind you of coming ruin. I'm being your Peter for a few minutes. 
We must be mindful of Bible truth. False teachers puff lies of peace. They lie about the God of wrath. They lie about Christ's coming. Some rapture that's going to take you out, then there's going to be some seven-year whatever on the planet. It's not taught in the Bible anywhere. Anybody that believes in the seven-year tribulation, bring me one verse about the seven-year tribulation. I have a vacation coming. The Antichrist is not the danger. A thrice holy God and his son is the danger. Do you understand that? The Antichrist is not the danger. The Antichrist's danger is over and his danger was minor. That's why Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Fear him which is able to take body and soul and cast it into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. This is the trouble. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Remember, I'm preaching because there's an ignorance conspiracy. This they willingly are ignorant of, and these were Jews. The Jews knew about the fathers. Only the Jews would ever speak about the patriarchal fathers. They should have known all about the flood. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. They have forgotten something. There's a big historical event. For me to go back to the flood and to remind you how terrible it was is perfectly scriptural and necessary. It is a historical event you should not forget. Do you really care that the Wright brothers played with some little model plane out there in North Carolina? Are you serious that you would waste any brain power learning about that compared to this? This will change your life. The Wright brothers with their little toy isn't going to change your life. This will change your life. This is what we need to hear. We must not forget the flood. The flood provides the perfect example. It is the perfect example and a picture of God's wrath wrecking the earth and the coming of Jesus Christ. Peter said so. They ought to remember something. That's the flood. And so we could go through some flood verses. Noah's flood is not an anomaly. It is not an aberration of God's character. It is a perfect example of it, and the flood is used to reveal him. Luke 17, we've been there. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus used the flood as an example. Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, being being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. As we live in obedience to God, as we preach like this and you allow preaching like this, and we embrace truth like this, we condemn the world and become heirs of the new universe that's coming. God has saved us from his wrath on this world, and you should love rainbows. I got one better for you. You're thinking rainbows because I won't have to drown. I got more than that for you. I agree that the rainbow is in the sky at certain times for us to realize God's promise and covenant that he'll never drown the whole earth with a flood again. Yes, the rainbow is God's promise to never destroy the earth with a flood, but it is much more than that. Wait till I get to Isaiah. We have some learning to do. For this, 
my covenant with Israel. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart. Is that what we're talking about today? The mountains shall depart, the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. So when you see a rainbow, there's two things. One, you're not going to have to drown. Two, you're not going to have to go to hell because you're going to have eternal heaven with God. And he wants you to know if you're looking at that rainbow and you trust it for no worldwide flood, look at that rainbow because this is as the waters of Noah unto me. This is as sure of a thing as I can make it, like I made with Noah. I will always be kind to you, and I will never take my peace away from you. And we know that that is legally understood of what he would do through the sacrifice of his son to save his church. Let's go back to 2 Peter 3. Remember, we were at verse 6. The earth was overwhelmed with water and perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, that is the command of God, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You read it last night. The physical universe is at stake. You have, if you want to interpret your Bibles, listen, learn. The physical universe is at stake. Both earth and heavens this time. You know, sometimes it says heaven. Sometimes it says heavens. There's three heavens. The birds fly in the first one, the planets and stars are in the second one, and God's in the third one. He's going to take out Numbers 1 and 2. They remain by God's command. The universe is reserved for fire. Judgment and damnation come. That's what perdition is. It's destruction and turtle, totally turning a person over to their sins and judgment for those sins. Preterists try to spiritualize it. Preterists say that all the future prophecies in the Bible were fulfilled in 70 AD. And they go right here. And they try to spiritualize this so that the new heavens and the new earth is the gospel era of Jesus Christ and his apostles. Are you with me on how they corrupt scripture? John Owen, who I do respect for some of the works that he wrote, fell for this heresy. When they go to 2 Peter chapter 3, they make the heavens and the earth dissolving and melting, being Moses' ceremonial law, to be replaced with a new heavens and a new earth. It's all spiritualizing it away. That's what preterists do. We come Now, do you know... Do you know that this is the physical universe that's at stake? You absolutely do, because it was subject to Noah's flood. Thank you, Lord. We agree with preterists about some things, like 70 AD, for certain events, but not this one. It is not Moses' Old Testament ceremonies. It is the earth of Noah's flood. But this time, heavens are included as well. See, Noah's flood only destroyed the earth. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to destroy the earth and the first heaven and the second heaven, the heavens. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also 
because the heavens were started with in this sentence, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything you like, your house, your garden, your garage, your cars, your motorcycles, your boats, your trees, everything, your company, this building, this parking lot, everything is going to be burned up, right. melted, and it's going to disappear. But it starts with the heavens, plural, and then it adds the earth also. The coming day is the day of the Lord. It'll be a total surprise for the earth. There will be a great noise. When the Bible says there'll be a great noise, do you think you might hear it? Do you think it might be like the finale to a fire's work display? A great noise. I'm looking forward to it. I like big noises for good reasons. Two heavens will melt and pass away. Earth and all on it will be burned up. Remember this. It's supposed to affect our lives. Look, right. seeing then. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? Seeing. Since he told us in advance what he's going to do to everything you put your life into, how should you live? We should be holy. Our lifestyle should be holy. We should be godly. We should be looking for and hasting. Daddy, daddy, are we almost there? Are we there yet? Are we almost there? Wanting it to come. Wanting it to come to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I thought he already said that. Yes, he already said it. He's trying to emphasize a point to you. This is important information. This is the future of the world. They don't have a clue. They can't forecast the weather. They're idiots out there. The Bible gives us so much about the future. And it's emphasized and it's repeated so that we will get the message. But we should be looking for and hasting unto the coming of this day. Because it's not going to catch us unawares and we're not going to be burned up. And we're not going to be in a cave with Lot either. All will dissolve. So how will you live? How are you going to live? If you're worrying about the time, let me help you. I'm making a trade. Wednesday night for right now. Remember it meant Wednesday night. All will dissolve. So how are we going to live? We should live differently. These things don't matter. Do you know what if you really got if this really gripped you, you could live with a whole lot less than you think you need to be happy? These people moving into homes with in-ground swimming pools and stuff. What do you need to be happy? Food and raiment? Let us be there with content. If we realize this. But of course we live in America and the Lord's given us a bunch of things that we can enjoy. And the Bible says to richly... To, and richly enjoy the things that he's given us richly to enjoy, that we're allowed to do that. We should look forward to this day. We should want the day to hurry up. Yes. Hurry up, Lord. Wrongs will be righted. Enemies will be judged. But there's a glorious angle for us. Here's the angle for us. Nevertheless, oh, everything's melting. Everything's burning. Everything's disappearing. The fervent heat, by the way, let me run back. Street level 
Tokyo, Japan, March 10th, 1945. They only bound for two hours and 40 minutes. 300 planes that each dumped their seven tons in two hours and 40 minutes. Do you know what the temperature was at street level? 1,800. You ought to read the pilots' testimonies about being in the worst turbulence they had ever been in in their lives because of the heat coming up from that fire. There were parts of houses being flung past their windows at 5,000 feet. That's a hot fire. So there's a hot fire coming, and that's just one little historical example I know of of a fire. Some of you came to me at break time with other examples of fires, and I appreciate that. I just want to get your attention about fire since most of you haven't been burned. Most of us don't really know what fire's like, but it's coming, and it's going to burn up everything that we know. It's going to burn up this world. It's going to burn up Pluto. It's going to burn up that cheesy moon that we've got. It's going to burn it all up. The whole universe is going to burn up. All the elements of this universe are going to burn up. Nevertheless, we can look forward to it. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise. Do you know what this is based on? God's promise. Amen. And he put it in writing. And so it's written down for us. God's promise. We get a new heavens. Heavens. And a new earth. Singular. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, brethren, can you draw a conclusion? Brethren, wherefore, beloved, God loves you. Seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Let's not have any fighting, no grudges, no bitterness. Let's be found of the Lord Jesus Christ in peace. Let's not have any spots. Let's not even be tainted or touched by the inputs of the world and let us be blameless from any actions of sin. Let's give diligence to it. Let's be excited about it. Jesus Christ is coming and this is what's going to happen. He's going to melt and burn everything with fervent heat and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And what is that based on? It ain't based on my promise. It's based on his promise. Where is his promise? In the word of God, according to his promise. The old universe melts, we get the new one. He promised good to us, yet by fire. This is the ultimate new world order. Everybody wants to worry about the new world order. I want a new world order. And Jesus is going to usher in a new world order. And what a new world order that will be. We should look forward to it. Seek peace. Be spotless. And be blameless. And seek it hard. Seek hard after these things. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 15. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. This is for preterists. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Don't think that your timetable is God's timetable. Never forget that verse. If you want to be good at answering certain isms, preterism needs 2 Peter 3.8. The Lord is not slack. Our God isn't a slacker, and Jesus Christ isn't a slacker concerning his promise to give us a new heaven and a new earth. As some men count slackness, Scoffers may call call him slack, but we don't. We know why he's waiting, because he's long-suffering to usward. Thank you, Matthew. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's for usward. It's the elect children of God that he's long-suffering for. They have to be born. They have to be born again. They have to repent from by this example, and then he can come. Beautiful. And see, we jump down to verse 15, which says, account. Do you want to do some accounting? Jesus said he was going to come. He hasn't come in a long time. 
It's now 2019. What are we going, how are we going to account for this? Account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's giving you time today to repent so that we can repent and prove that we are his children and we can make our calling and election sure. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. God's timetable condemns preterists. Our Lord is no slacker. We know the earth is accumulating wrath. Jesus also waits for usward to repent. Vessels of honor and much people are all he cares about. He is not caring for the whole world. These are vessels of honor from Romans 9. This is the much people that we read about in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Ye therefore, beloved, this is how 2 Peter 3 ends. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, can you believe what you heard today? You heard things before they happened. Where else can you go to hear the future plainly taught before it happens? But in the house of God, where our Father in heaven wants us to know certain things. And this is about the biggest thing they could possibly know about, is that he's going to burn up the whole universe and give us a whole new universe, and we get to inherit it if we're overcomers. And we get to know about it before. That is, Lord, you're so good. You're incredible. Amen. Beloved, we're his loved ones. He's not going to burn or melt us. Seeing ye know these things before, beware. Be on your guard, lest ye also, along with those scoffers, be led away with the error of wicked and false teachers and fall from your own steadfastness. Let's hold on to what he's shown us and help each other stick to it. Let's not move away from it. This is what the Bible teaches. And there's something better than that. I just don't want you not to fall from your steadfastness. I want you to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ he deserves glory now and forever, amen, because he's going to save us from that big fiery bath that's coming of God's judgment. Right. God told us these things in advance. Preachers that are remind and repeat, we must guard against worldly lies. We must stand fast about this event. And better than that, better than standing fast about this event, let's grow in grace to know Jesus Christ better than we ever have before. Why isn't he important enough to you to give your life to know him better? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saved us from the end of the universe. The end of the universe is coming. If it was President Trump that had saved you, you'd all be in Washington. It's Jesus Christ that saved us from the end of the universe. Back to this verse. It is my favorite. And to wait for his Son from heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Whom Jesus, God raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Now I get to the good part. Hold on. Listen, I'll, I'll give you whatever funds you need for QT on the way home to hit yourself with a couple monsters. You can double fist it. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through our Lord Jesus Christ. John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Gets the new universe. He that believeth not the Son shall never see everlasting life, but the wrath of God abideth on him where it is. Hallelujah! Jesus saved us from the wrath to come. Hold on. 
Only those who have changed their lives have any right or confidence to wait for Jesus to come without wrath. If you don't have a changed life that is willing to do anything for Jesus Christ, no sacrifice too great, no humbling of yourself too much, you're willing to do anything for him, anything for his people, that's the only way you can know that you're going to get the new universe and not be burned up with the old one. Back to this same verse. We were just here. Ah, forget it. I won't show it to you. Let's stick right here. They, the Thessalonians, themselves, show of us, Paul and his companions, what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols. What's your idol? Your job? Your W-2? Your house? Your kids? What's your idol? Don't let it compete with a jealous God. Right. Don't let any of those things compete with a jealous God. They turn from their idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who saved us from the wrath to come. 2 Thessalonians 2, you who are troubled, we've been here a couple of times, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. We are going to be excited and glorify God when Jesus Christ comes the next time. We don't have to fear. We just have to look forward and to be admired. You're going to admire this glorious ruler and king of the universe in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed. All this is going to happen in that future day that we know about. When Jesus comes to burn up and destroy the wicked in flaming fire with his mighty angels, he will at the same time be glorified and admired by true believers. That's where we'll be. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and are living for him, if you're not living for him but living for other, other soap bubbles that you think are important in life, you don't give the evidence of eternal life. God doesn't care what you believe intellectually. It has nothing to do with salvation. Intellectual comprehension of facts of the Bible is not any evidence of grace whatsoever. The evidence of grace is a changed life where you do things that are contrary to your nature. Each of you has a nature that loves certain things more than anyone else in here loves, and it is to change that and flush those things. And if you aren't willing to do that, you do not show the evidence of eternal life. You will soon discover this. Right. It, we are supposed to give all diligence to make our calling and election sure. It is not some little weekend hobby that we make our calling and election sure. It's not reading our Bible that makes us that gives us our calling and election sure. It is adding a whole bunch of things to our faith, and it changes us and how we relate to other people. And you know how that eight-step progression goes up to charity and brotherly kindness. There is no evidence you are a true believer without a changed life that continues to change more and more. Lord, help us all. You cannot appreciate Jesus and salvation until knowing what you are saved from and saved to. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from God's wrath, which is sufficiently holy and just to fan the fires of hell for eternity. Ephesians 2, my brother used it this morning in his prayer. We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, 
We were by nature the children of wrath. Look at that. We were just like everyone else, even as others. But God, rich in mercy, great love, loved us. When we were dead, quickened us. By grace ye are saved. Raised us up, made us sit together. In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Incredible. That's the gospel. We are saved from being destined for wrath to instead be destined for enjoying the riches of God's grace for all eternity. God's electing choice to make some vessels for glory by incredible mercy is a fabulous component of the gospel. It's what the Bible teaches. Look what we're saved to. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. There's reservations that have been made for us in heaven. They were purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and giving up his life so that we could have a reservation made for an inheritance that never corrupts. It's undefiled because it's perfectly pure and holy and valuable and it doesn't fade like everything else you have in your closet, jewelry box, or anywhere else. We have an inheritance that's totally different. This inheritance will not melt. It will not be subjected to fervent heat to destroy it. It will be forever. It's a new universe. What a contrast in destinies. Instead of eternal torment, by the wrath of God, we inherit the universe. Salvation is being saved from God's righteous claims against you, not being saved from the devil. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. This is the issue right here, God and men. And we need this one mediator, and it's the man, Christ Jesus, that's going to save us from the end of the universe. The end of the universe. Do you know how big the solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy? Can hardly find it. Do you know how big the Milky Way galaxy is in this universe? Can hardly find it. The earth in our solar system can hardly find it. It's going to all melt and disappear. We're going to get a new one. And there's one, there's one issue. It's God and us. And Jesus Christ is in between us. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, not found, was cast in the lake of fire. You cannot appreciate Jesus and salvation until knowing how you are saved and by whom. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. There's that salvation from wrath. But it's by his blood that took his life. God had to kill his own beloved son in order for you to escape his eternal wrath. Here it says that he made peace through the blood of his cross and in the body of his flesh through death. That's how we're saved from the wrath to come. Peace through the blood of his cross and the body of his flesh. Thus, our communion, the Lord's Supper. We remember his blood and remember his body. Our peace and our reconciliation with this God was by the blood and flesh of Jesus Christ. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's the issue. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He is in heaven to make sure that we are not destroyed in the end of the universe, which is coming soon. He says the same thing in Romans 8, who also maketh intercession for us at the right hand of God. He says it here as well. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. There's only one way to go to God. It's by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's able to save us to the uttermost. Right. 
the end of the universe will not touch us. The present life of Jesus Christ at the right hand of God as our lawyer or mediator is how we are saved. And God's ministers declare the joyful sound. God was in Christ and reconciled us to himself and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So that's why I'm appealing to you today as his ambassador. He's done everything he could by reconciling his elect children to himself by the death of his son. Will you be reconciled to that God and get excited about him coming for you and giving you a new universe? Right. Or are you waiting to get out of here to go do something? Is Michigan playing Michigan State yet? Anybody want to nod? March Madness is about to start. We've got to get to March Madness here. God chose to reconcile some to himself in peace, and he sends ambassadors to declare this glorious, finished work. If you're born again and know God and Jesus in truth, it will change your life forever. And we just want to change some more. It's why we're doing this for those of you that have already changed. Only change lives. Only changed lives living for Jesus Christ have evidence of this salvation from the end of the universe. Remember, they turn from God to serve, they turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Right. What has distracted you so that this news has little impact on your life? What is boring about this sermon? I am sorry for my inability to present information in a more exciting and entrancing way. But what is boring you about the content? What is distracting you in your life from this content? Worldly entertainment and God-hating fables are in your house in this thing. And in your pocket, this thing. Cell phones. And are always distracting you. Social media? Selfies? Texting? I burped. I burped again. Look at the content we have in front of us. Right. If these sermons are only 10% true, the possible outcome is still worthy of 100% of your effort to make your calling and election sure right. that you don't get burned up with the universe. And it's not that hard. And actually, it's the most fulfilling life you'll ever have by making right. your calling and election sure because it's always win, win, win with our, the God our Father and our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, see, it's a changed life. It's an obedient life. Ye shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. You're going to get an abundant, open-armed welcome into heaven, the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, it's the same writer in the same epistle that warned us about the end of the universe. No other danger comes even close. No other danger in your life comes even close to the one I've told you about today, but Satan, the world, and your own flesh will think and worry about other dangers that are irrelevant. Here's one that's irrelevant. I couldn't carry what? I couldn't care less what Russia rolls down its main street. It's probably plastic. Listen, the nation can't even feed its own people. Who cares about that little thing right there? That's a little toy. Fear not them which kill the body. What if they melt me in a hydrogen explosion over Summer Green Ave? This is Korea. They're little toys. They are plastic. Who cares? The world wants to distract you. Your flesh wants to distract you. The devil wants to distract you. 
Oh, yeah. You washing your hands more because of Ebola? They want you to worry about everything. Right. How many people died from Ebola? Can you number them on two hands? What, what's coming? There's 7.5 billion people on earth. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Global warming. Are you worried about that guy? He's not cold. I can promise you. He's got a thick coat on, and he knows how to swim. Oh, yeah. Weather Channel's going to get you every time. They're going to find something on their radar to get you nervous about the weather so that they can occupy your attention for another day or two before some other storm comes up. Oh, the Ethiopian flight. Oh, yeah. Should that capture our attention for a week or two? How many people die per day in America from car accidents? This was a plane accident. I believe it was 167. How many people die per day from car accidents? In America only. 110. Every single day. They're, they're going to tell me that bacon is bad for me. They're going to have more stats than you can shake a... St- what? Anatomy of bacon. You know when you go online and say, what's everyone afraid of? Well, they'll come up with something for you. It's a weather event. It's a political event. It's some parade that they're having in Moscow with plastic toys. Everything to worry us. I have someone in charge of this whole world, and he's just waiting to where he can show himself the ruler of the whole place, including the universe. All angels are already subject to him, and they know he has unlimited power. Do you know what he said? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Mobile phones can cause cancer. I have one more reason against them. Chlorinated water. People who drink chlorinated water, 93% higher cancer risk than those who don't. We should live totally different from the world around us as God's sons. We don't have to fear any of these things. All these things are jokes compared to what we just covered today. In 1 Thessalonians 5 is where it started out in the first three verses. He's going to come as a thief in the night. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that thief in the night should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. Let's not be worldly like those around us, as do others. Let us watch and be sober. The end of all things is at hand. 1 Peter 4, 7. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Because we have great hope laid out before us. God's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that means... Whether we die before Jesus Christ comes back or not, we should, we will live together with him. Wherefore, because of this, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also ye do. Let's help each other remember that there's an end to this universe. There's an end to this world. We're not going to end it. He's going to end it. Vengeance is his. He will repay. He's going to burn this place up and give us a brand new one. And seeing ye know these things, that ought to your lives. Overcomers will inherit all things in the new heaven and earth. And this is what Jesus Christ calls them, overcomers. He that overcometh 
shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. An overcomer believes God's witness about his son, Jesus Christ, and lives his life for them. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and have laid hold of him by faith, that he is the son of God and the reigning king of the universe and is coming again to resurrect the dead, both the righteous and the wicked, and will judge them all. If you believe that, then obey him. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the son of God. See, those are overcomers. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. Don't let that overcoming be some vague term to you. It means that the world and its temptations, the world and its attractions, your flesh and its lusts are not going to take you down. You're going to defeat them by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for his appearing because he's coming with a new universe for us. We are not going to be frustrated. We are not going to be hopeless. We are not going to be, we're not going to think that we need to do something to change this world. Let the Lord change this world. He's got a big change in mind for it. He's going to melt it and give us a new one. This is what the Bible teaches. I had a few reasons why I wanted to preach it to you. I hope I've accomplished them. Let's encourage each other in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look for his coming. Look for his coming. And let's be like children in a car that are getting tired and bored of not getting there fast enough and tell the Lord to hurry. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is what the Bible teaches, and Jesus has saved us from the wrath to come. And it's by his life and by his death, and now by his life he's with the Father, keeping us forever. And we shall never be lost, not a single one that puts their trust in him and lives with a changed life of obeying him and making their calling and election sure with their personal diligence. In Jesus' name, amen.